Hello and welcome to episode, I've totally forgotten what number. 28. I 28. The reason I forgot is because a few episodes ago, we said episode 26 when it was really 27 and I've just been backlogged since then. Uh, but if you listen to our latest episode, basically our, our thoughts on exercise correlation, uh, whatever muscular imbalances may mean, we had mentioned that we had tried to bridge our supplement episode into a uh, episode that discusses food intake, quality, and quantity. And we had some technical difficulties getting Sobo on the line, but we have him here today. And we're going to talk today about um, nutrition for performance matters. We're going to discuss first quantity, then discuss quality, and perhaps try to find a good recommendation for both based on your goals. And perhaps reduce some fear for those who are performing at a high level and may be more healthy than they imagine. Uh, they don't need to be too health conscious with spending outside of a budget, for example. Sobo, how's it yes, going? I'm good. I'm good. My my earphones, headphones are working after much delay with trying to make compatibility in Apple and a Windows product. So we're back on the, the grid. Have you have you experienced uh, being like mid work, like uh, maybe like a really long paper or something like that, and then the Windows updates occur and it like totally erases everything? I've been hearing about this. People will be like mid work. It's like they'll be like on a really long piece of work and then like a Windows update automatically comes in and it like erases everything. Yeah, I have I have a system. I use um, an online system that basically. My computer runs in parallel on the internet. I pay like a hundred bucks a year for it. And so at any time my computer freezes, I can go online and restart it from wherever I ended. Uh, so mm. it's basically like a whole cloud of my computer that backs up everything I do. So if I type a word and then all of a sudden my computer shuts down, I can reboot it to exactly that word document. So it's actually a good idea, but it's, you know, kind of a pain in the butt sometimes. Yeah. Huh. All right. So where should be? Again. We're, we're starting with food quantity for performance, and I feel like opening up this thing. So, but why are we talking to you about performance? What makes you our expert? Wow, that's a loaded question. <laughs> um, I'm not a nutritionist by any means. I've taken plenty of nutrition classes. I've dealt in the world of nutrition. Um, so, if you, if you, if you, I'm not claiming to be an expert. I'm claiming to be a practical um, application person. I've dealt with this in all facets from dealing with people who need to lose weight for weight sports, weight restrictive sports, like, you know, wrestling or, um, rowing. Some of those are weight restricted or completely to people who are trying to gain weight. And the bigger that you are, the the more powerful you are and weights like powerlifting and offense linemen. And then the people who are trying to maintain weight, who are not trying to gain weight or lose weight, but trying to maintain it and do it in a healthy way, or maybe, you know, change their body composition from, you know, 15, 15% body fat to 12%, but still maintaining the same um, amount of body mass. So I've dealt with all extremes. I wouldn't exactly say I'm an expert, but I think that um, in all things, simplicity is the easiest. And sometimes if you talk to a guru or a nutritionist, it could get a little overcomplicated. And hopefully my simplest ideas and my simplest attack plans that I have for athletes is good enough or well enough for, for being considered a fairly knowledgeable person in this field. And how, uh, how on brand is academic, simple, and non-guru like, have how? you ever, how, have you ever professed to, uh, uh, students about nutritional related sciences? I, I, I teach, I teach nutrition in almost all my classes actually. And, in, in I simplify it down and basically say that there are millions of things that nutrition has, but there's a very few underlying themes that go through all nutrition. And if we can just narrow it down to those, it's not that complicated. Yes, there are nutritionists. If you go get your master's or PhD in nutrition, you learn about the extremes and the finite metabolism of a certain molecule through the whole stage of digestion to absorption to use. And you learn all that. Most people that is to the extreme that 99% of the people will never deal with. And most of the time it's just, you know, simplicity and moderation and getting your macros and your micros, 
mean, pretty, pretty simple stuff. I, I love throwing uh, a question at you that almost makes you defend your experience and accreditation. Yeah. You, you just handled the question beautifully and, and uh, <laughs> speak to why we uh, refer to you in the first place. Yeah. I mean, I'm not a nutritionist. So all the people out there that are listening to saying this guy's not a certified nutritionist, you know, state laws say that you can give nutrition advice and not be a nutritionist, but you cannot make dietary, you know, recommendations and, and do plans. So there is a legal kind of thing that says I cannot claim to be a dietitian and I cannot physically write out a dietetic plan for you. And with everything you do, I can give you general recommendations. And as a non-certified RDA, I can say that thing without actually getting in trouble. And that's in most states. So I am not a certified registered dietitian, but I can tell you enough to help you perform the way you should. Cool. So because we're talking about performance and quantity, um, let's just say we're dealing with a sport. Uh, you mentioned rowing. Uh, we work with a lot of weightlifters, a sport that involves weight classes, but that also might involve you eating in a surplus. So as you said, to get stronger or more powerful, what are your first considerations when dealing with this uh, quantity topic in a weight class sport? So in a weight class sport, you have to understand at what, so at, at, if they're at the weight they're supposed to be at, we have to work on maintenance and then that becomes more of a body composition issue. So, you know, they, if they're a wrestler and they're at 135, they have to stay at 135 or an MMA athlete or somebody that has to stay at a weight class. The goal was to to change their body composition to make it more beneficial for their sport. So you got, you got to look at how that plays into a factor. Um, if you are at a, in, in a weight class where it's just heavy weight and you have 220 pounds plus, and you can, you can be 500 pounds or you can be 220 pounds even, then you have a little bit more leeway in your consumption. So if you're, if you're weight restricted and you're at that weight, we need to do basically caloric maintenance. If you are, at you are in a weight restricted sport and you need to lose weight, we need to do some form of caloric deficit. If you need to gain weight, we need to do some type of caloric um, surplus. So that's kind of the way. Just look at it as a caloric overall. Am I trying to maintain, get more calories or less calories? And then we can focus on what exactly that caloric content should be. When people were trying to combat the calories in, calories out around metabolism, was there ever literature? that was perhaps in favor of that, that was at all or ever up for debate? Or did people just try to uh, create conflict or attention in saying that the way that it's been known to work doesn't work? Well, I think there's, there's, there's a debate on exactly what a calorie is and what that means in our body. I think the, the debate that in order to lose weight, you have to restrict your calories to below what you would normally burn is pretty is a pretty sound science the question is is how are calories used in our body if anybody knows that most calories we talk about are actually kcals they're not just a single calorie and it's it's raising water a degree in celsius um, and it's all based off heat expenditure so in order to figure out how much your big mac how many calories in a big mac we put it in a little you know furnace and we burn it and how much heat it produces tells us how many calories are in a certain amount of food the problem with that being is our bodies aren't turning our fuel or food into pure, you know, heat energy. So some of it goes toward, you know, building up. So you eat protein, proteins considered has calories, but those calories might not go toward actually producing energy, but actually producing some form of mass. So the, the energy doesn't, you know, law, law of conservation of energy says, you know, energy does not um, get created or destroyed. It just merely changes shape and form. So it goes from a protein molecule of, you know, of a hamburger, you know, some meat protein gets converted into your body to amino acid and it gets converted back to, you know, a myosin filament. So that calorie was never burned or ever used for energy, but the best way we can measure energy is through heat and using it. So yes, you can consume a lot of protein and you have, you know, 10,000, you know, calories of protein in your diet, but how much of that is being used for energy production, how much is actually being used to just change shape and build muscle. So that is so much protein. So that's uh, like his uh, ring. That's like his ring muscle up yeah. analogy. It's like, well, you can do progressive overload muscle. Well, I'm saying like in, in like a month, like you're, you're eating just so much. Ca- uh, uh, yeah, not a day, not per not day. day. No, let's say, you know, 300, 300 grams of, of protein in a day, not 
That's I've seen it. I mean, but if you're eating, if you're eating that much, how much is going towards being used for energy? How much is going toward you know enzymatic activity because our enzymes are protein based? I mean, so that it's not this you know one to one ratio that we think calories you you it is all burned for energy. So it's based off this energy burn model, but it's not true. So that's where the debate is. Um, but if you don't take in as much calories as you burn through heat production or you know metabolic rate you're likely going to burn stored fuel and lose weight. I mean, it's the, the science isn't exact, but the rationale makes sense. I've actually um, uh, seen some interesting research lately that ones, because obviously more than just for the calories in versus calories out, there's a lot of other things besides just uh, physical activity throughout your day that goes into the, what you're burning, but also that um, to an extent they've done some like research around, um, at a certain level of activity, you actually won't burn any more calories. And they were looking at like um, nomadic tribes back in the day who basically walk all day. Uh, but like your your body kind of like at uh, at the at a certain point won't burn any like like to to a greater extent amount of calories for that level of activity, even though you may be like walking all day. And at some point, it actually kind of levels out. Yeah, you get, there's efficiency points in 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 metabolism, and then the the other one is that well, people sometimes there's people that can be on very low calories, uh, but they're not losing weight, and they're like, I'm, like I'm still you know hitting it hard in the gym. Like, what's what's going on? And it's because a lot of other metabolic processes have slowed down, or they're less active throughout the day as well. So even though they're active for an hour, hour in the gym, now they're going to just doing nothing for the rest of the day and to a point your body kind of starts to regulate that because it doesn't want to change. Yeah. I mean, our bodies are extremely smart and adaptive. So if you are working out and, you know, burning 2000 calories working out, and then you go home and sit on the butt all day and burn 500 sitting on the couch and you consume 2,500 calories, your body's not going to say, you know what, let's burn more calories sitting on the couch. So it, your body figures it out. It does not want to be in a caloric deficit state unless it has to be. Um, so your body's going to say, okay, yes, our metabolism speeds up when I work out, but then when I'm relaxed, I'm going to slow down because I know that if I'm only getting you know, a few extra calories, I'm going to slow down my metabolism so I don't burn through those calories sitting on the couch. So our bodies kind of play with each, you know, with, with our caloric intake. So we consume this much calories so let's slow down so people who do really caloric restrictive diets their metabolism slows down because their body is not going to burn more fuel than it has the body's going to want to preserve itself so if you have a lot of extra mass and you consume less calories your body's going to slow down because it never knows when it's going to need those calories so it's not going to burn those calories when you're sitting on the couch so there's you got it there's people who undereat have hard time losing weight because their bodies go into the self-preservation mode um, and they can't lose weight. And I think that, that I feel like that happens for a lot of people who are kind of in like the yo-yo dieting type thing yep. where they'll diet and they're significantly under eating and then they'll binge and then they'll try to diet again. And then like their metabolic, a lot of their metabolic stuff gets all messed up there mm-hmm. and losing weight. It, and once again, this is going to sound simple. It's just slow and steady wins the race with this. Yo-yo dieting, you know, I can go in and not eat for five days and lose weight, but my body's going to eventually slow down their metabolism till you know, it can survive off 500 calories a day and I'm going to be slow and I'm going to be sluggish. So, I mean, the, the key is you just do slow reductions in caloric, you know, intake and increase your exercise and increase your daily physical activity. And then you'll see it because your body will not respond to drastic changes effectively. Yeah. And as we talk about performance, we are probably going uh, to be discussing less of this uh, weight loss or having mm-hmm. difficulty with weight loss and more about how to gain weight, perhaps the different styles of tracking, if you're even tracking at all. So I have questions about that. Uh, before, before that, I, I think we read recent, uh, something recently from 3DMJ and they were uh, talking about how it could be super beneficial especially as a, a maturing athlete in, in biological age to be massing in your 20s and in your 30s because when else are you going to be putting on as much muscle or primed to be putting on as much muscle? 
Like when you're in your teens, that's just naturally happening. They're, they're, they're specifically speaking. And they're, they're, they're speaking about bodybuilding. Yeah. But I also think for performance, yeah. there's a lot of talk in, I don't know if so, but this happens in wrestling or in rowing, but when you have a young weightlifter, uh, this sense of, Less, like less time the, cutting for the weight class, yeah, maybe more time filling more out. More time filling out, more time training, and basically just not worrying about weight as much and playing this long term of seeing after we've put on muscle throughout their late teens and 20s, where do they fall? I mean, of course, Olympic years and, and trials will uh, make for uh, the team to lead to a, a specific choice in that moment, which might mean a temporary cut. Uh, however, to be filling out over these developmental years seems to make a lot of sense to me. Yeah, I mean, to to fully maximize your potential, weight restricting you, I mean, and, and the NCAA does this too, is there shouldn't be too much of a weight restriction because you should naturally find that the best point of your body mass that you can handle. You shouldn't arbitrarily, you know, cut down to 115 so you can be in that weight class. If your body naturally is at 130, that's going to be where you want. So if you arbitrarily cut down from the time you were in high school wrestling to the time you're in college wrestling, you're missing out on that window. And yes, you, you hit that 115 weight class, but you know you could have been bigger, faster, stronger, and healthier at 130 and probably doing just as good, but you've arbitrarily cut because that's what you've been told or what you think is the best for you. In reality, we should allow for our bodies to mature and try to maximize that and then 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 compete in that appropriate weight class until, like you said, an Olympic year or, you know, something that really is going to, you know, change significantly. So, uh, since we're talking, since we're mainly talking about calories now, so how would you, in this talk about quantity, go about finding how much someone should be consuming? So there's multiple ways to do this. If you have access to, you know, a laboratory, you can do what we call resting metabolic expenditure and RMR. Um, test, which you basically go to a, a lab. We do it here at Furman that you just lay down and we just have you breathe one up through it. a little tent that you kind of sit in and we just basically figure out how much your body burns just on the easy, normal, maintaining homeostasis. So we measure that. And then that gives us an idea of like your baseline um, caloric need for just maintaining healthy life. And then we can then extrapolate how much you burn in exercise and say, okay, your resting metabolic rate says you burn 1,800 calories, and then when you work out, you burn another 700. So your your metabolic need is 2,500 calories a day. So you can do that if you have access to you know science or, or you know somebody, or you there's there's science. science, or you can you can do there's plenty of equations you can do that you um, that are fairly accurate and will give you a good idea. Um, and I tell my class when I talk about sports nutrition is, so if you don't have access to a lab, go online, find one of these, these equations. And it says you, you know, you type in your height and your weight, your age and your physical activity level and a couple other things. And it says your basic metabolic rate is 1800 and you burn 900 in exercise. Well, it's real easy to say you, that's a starting point. So we, everything here is kind of a, a guess. It's not an exact science with each individual person, but you say, okay, this is where your starting point is. Easy five minutes online. I figured out that my I should be consuming about twenty nine hundred calories, and you try to, to consume twenty nine hundred calories, and you do that for a week, and all of a sudden you're gaining weight. Like it might be too much. Maybe that equation overemphasized some calories, and so you you find kind of what works for you. So you get a good starting point, and then you start to kind of like you know we learned in elementary school, guess, check, and revise. So then you kind of figure out what your nice caloric intake is and then you can play off of that by reducing it in so many or increasing it in so many to get the desired result so one thing guess, I, guess check, I don't think that was you've it. never heard that guess check and revise i don't i think that might have did you hear that I have some sort of variation i just i'm not recalling any such variation um, but I wish that's I how i got through school <laughs> uh what so uh speaking of those equations uh one that I really like, or a company that has a good one, I think, is Precision Nutrition has a calculator. You literally just type in Precision Nutrition Calculator in Google. Yeah. And I forget the PhD's name, but we should probably look them up. Yeah, but it's uh, I've, I've found that to be a very good one. And then I've, I've found that many times when people do this, the calories are a lot higher than and they're they, ex- yeah. expecting. Uh, have you experienced that as well, Sobo? 
Yeah. I mean, even when we do in our lab, when we do the resting metabolic rate, it says all this, you know, a five foot eight female who weighs 140 pounds says they need to be consuming 2,600 calories. You said, oh my goodness, that's way too much. Once again, this is, you know, measurements and you might've only been consuming 1,800. You said, I've been consuming 1,800 calories and I'm fine. This is like, you know, just a, a reference point. And you might be, most people under consume calories, especially if they're exercising a lot and they think, oh, you know, I'm under consuming calories. It means I can go eat Big Macs. Well, we'll talk more about kind of the quality later, but you know, so most, most of us, if we're performance athletes, any athlete that we're trying to perform at our best, we probably are under eating in some areas mm-hmm. compared to what we should be. And, you know, and that could just be based off our diet, how much time we have to eat. If you work in, you know, a 40 hour work week, you know, do you have two hours for lunch? Do you have the ability to, you know, eat every two hours? No. So you, you miss meals and you miss, you know, protein and carbohydrates in that, in those time points. And, and so I heard you mention in there, um, with the calories about uh, like a week's time, I've always heard a little bit longer than that, just because that first, especially if it's a lot more than you're used to that first initial week, you may just gain a lot of weight because of just the initial volume of food coming in. So I've always heard like two to two to three, maybe four weeks to really see where you end up settling. What yeah. do you think about that? Yeah. I mean, it's going to vary for person. I mean, if it's a substantial, like if you went from 2000 calories to 3,500 calories, probably going to take some time for your body to figure that out. But if it's a slight change and you're like, I'm just going to increase my calories by 200, the, the less drastic, the, the change, the less time you have to you know worry about big differences. Do you see there being a spectrum of, because like you said, it's a, it's not an exact science, but a spectrum of accuracy or precision with, uh, how you'd like to increase or if I mean, just to make it clear, either increase or decrease, uh, your body weight that we're talking about increasing it based on tracking methods or just eating until hungry and then some, or seeing how you look in the mirror. Does this uh, really depend on the individual or does it depend on how specific they want to get for best results? It, I think it is kind of a combination of all of those. If you are a super OCD, I need details. I mean, you can weigh your food like they do with you know physique athletes and bodybuilders and get it down to the exact gram that you're eating, and then you can measure that out from there and, and have your exact macros. And but you know that's that's one way to do it. Or you can have a general idea if you're a little bit more relaxed. Um, but the idea is, is, is however you measure, you have to be consistent in the measurement. Um, you know, and, and you got to understand too, you, eating to your full, if you're used to, if you're trying to lose weight, eating to your full, you probably are going to have an overconsumption. So monitoring it in some form or fashion, maybe it's portion size. Um, I like to just do, um, people just write food logs and I'm not worried about caloric. I'm not having them like put it in some food tracker. I'm just saying, write down just a rough amount. Is it a, you know, a cup, a half a cup? And you can look and say, wow, I ate six cups of rice today. (laughs) So then you can be like, that's, that's probably a lot of rice. And then, you know, we don't need to give them the exact calories and exact carbohydrates, but you can kind of see I'm eating way too much of this or not enough of this or wait, I had no servings of vegetables for four days. I mean, you don't need some, I mean, it can be as simple as that. Like write down what you eat and it kind of, you know, an idea of what it is, how much quantity, or you can break it down and get online and say how much, you know, how many calories are in a cup of broccoli and then say, okay, I can, I consume 15 calories. And, and I mean, it, it all depends, but it depends on what kind of athlete you are and how dedicated you are to this. You can get consumed and get super just involved in this and be one of those people that um, I've seen it bring like a scale to a restaurant and literally weigh their food at, you know, a restaurant mm-hmm. so that they are getting their 12 ounces of steak and they, they might've, you know, bought the 15 ounce steak and they measure, so they have 12 and they eat their, you know, eight ounces of potatoes to get their carbohydrates. And I mean, so you can go any extreme, you can just be kind of one of these, Oh, I think I'm doing okay. But the, the more towards the middle you are, I think the better results you'll think that you're not over crazy about it, but you have a good grasp of what it should be. Um, so have you ever had any athletes or individuals where, cause you, you mentioned the RMR and then like this, you're burning them out from exercise. 
where uh, on their off days, they'll all of a sudden try to eat a lot less calories thinking like, oh, well, I'm not working out. I don't need as many calories uh, where that could actually be detrimental. And like, how, how much of a swing could you see um, in the, your calorie expenditure? Let's say if you took a week off, should you go a lot lower or should you keep it high for recovery? Uh, if you're going to train that next week, like your body gets adjusted to these amount of calories. Is there amount of time to where like, okay, well, you're, you're not burning as much come down within the context of performance. Yeah. Within so, the context of performance. Does that make sense? Yeah. So if, if you are performing as best you can, you shouldn't, unless you're like loading for the like carb loading for a race or something. But for the most part, your diet should stay as consistent even in your off days, just so your body knows that it's not fluctuating. So if you if you don't train on Saturdays and Sundays, and you all of a sudden say, you know, I don't train these days, I'm going to cut my caloric expenditure, your body says, wait a minute, we're used to 2,500 calories, and you only gave me 18. And the body kind of says, wait a minute, kind of trying to figure it out. And then all of a sudden on Monday, it gets 2,500 calories again. It's going to say, well, we were starved for two days. Let's sto- let's you know store this or change the way we metabolize this energy we just brought in so i mean consistency throughout um this gets to like people with cheat days i know we probably might talk about this but this idea that i've been really good for six days and i can have a cheat day i mean if you are depriving yourself that much that you need a cheat day like i mean most diets should not be like and i this is just a personal recommendation they shouldn't be as restrictive that you like want to go crazy for ice cream if you want ice cream, just eat some ice cream, but make sure you eat it in moderation and it fits in your, your macros for the day. I mean, I mean, that's where we could kind of the quality subject, but I mean, if you're totally going crazy because you haven't had any carbs for a month, you know, is that's had plays all sorts of different psychological roles than just a physiological, you know, caloric deficit. As we transition this, we know that you have to, if you're performing at some form of maintenance or to be, uh, in a surplus kind of maneuvered around how we can basically find that uh, baseline and, and move up against that baseline. So as to increase uh, mass or power or strength, uh, that's all well and good from a quantity standpoint. Now we, we bridge into quality. So when Amanda, uh, uh, Amanda Polk is Eric's uh, wife and Amanda I'm her husband. Let's put it that way. Yeah. <laughs> She's El Capitone. <laughs> uh, and, and she competed uh, in Rio uh, for, for rowing, and she's an Olympic gold medalist now. And uh, so if you can just talk more about your uh, nutrition recommendations for her, I think that'll give a good sense of uh, – or like it'll wrap up that, that quantity discussion, but then it might bridge into, okay, well, where does quality fit into this for the athlete? So. When you're working with with her, like athletes that you know are like her or similar athletes that are competing in a sport that's both aerobic and anaerobic that requires a lot of energy, right? So, the rowing rowing a two k for the Olympics is the equivalent of, of basically being a a, a miler, a, fi- a, a fifteen hundred meter runner. So it's it's some anaerobic, some aerobic, and it's just you know the way you get better at rowing is you just row and you spend a lot of time rowing. So they're spent, you know, they row more in a day than most of us would row in a, a month. Um, and same thing with swimmers. Swimmers do this as well. You just got to, in order to get better at swimming, you just got to swim. In order to get better at running, you got to run. In order to get better at cycling, you got to cycle. Um, so they're, and, and these are long, you know, high volume of, you know, training mechanisms. So in order to meet that demand, you have to fuel your body actually kind of with a surplus. Cause the last thing you ever want to do in these athletes is to, make them think they're in uh, a deficit because if they're in a deficit, they're going to start to preserve. And if they're preserving, they're not using that um, energy for actual production of, you know, performance. So you, if you're dealing with these athletes that need high metabolic demands, food is key and just getting as much of it as you can in, in, I want to say decent or good enough quality Uh, I'm not saying that you go out and eat 9,000 cheeseburgers, but a cheeseburger for them is not bad, right? Because they need the calories, they need the energy. So with, with, you know, Amanda and and athletes like her, you're either eating, sleeping, or training. Because when you're training, think about when you're at rest and you're, you're, you know, listening to this podcast, if you're driving or sitting there, 
you're probably burning very little calories. Maybe, maybe a cal, maybe, you know, five or six calories in this, in this podcast, just sitting here, maybe and I probably we're 30 minutes in. So you probably burned 50 calories just listening to this podcast. Um, if you're, you know, fairly active person. So you think during their exercise, they're burning 800, 900 calories at practice and they're doing this twice a day. And then their bodies have to then recover from burning 800, 900 calories per practice. So you have the caloric expenditure just to meet the energy demands during exercise. And then the caloric demands just to meet the demand to rebuild the damage and, you know, maintain homeostasis from that. And then just the metabolic demand of just being alive all gets put into one. And the the caloric intake is huge. You're talking, you know, 4,000 calories plus just to, just to perform and maintain weight in these type of sports. Do, do they do any sort of, um, uh, blood tests or I'm assuming they do like uh, health checks and stuff, but do they do any sort of blood tests just to make sure that, uh, these ranges or, or how much food they're eating are staying, are staying good or if anything's off and things like that? Um, no. So this is going to be a shock to most, most people out there. I've worked with Olympic sports in winter and summer and professional athletes, the actual care and science that is applied to our elite United States athletes and our elite NBA athletes in NFL and, you know, the, the big time name people, the, the care and preparation of them is actually minimal. They don't get any, you know, Amanda was in the Olympic training program for eight years and she did one VO two max. Wow. Yeah. Right. So like the actual, the care of our athletes is, is sad compared you know, to what we think they would do. We would think that, you know, these guys get blood tests every week to figure out how many calories they're needing and what their blood profile looks like. And they would have, you know, bog pods done every six months. And it's, it's actually not like that at all. They're actually kind of on the, the, the probably less than some, you know, people out here who go to the doctor and get checked up. Athletes aren't getting that scientific measurement as much as we think they should be or if they get it at all yeah i asked this because i actually just listened to a, another podcast yesterday um just because blood testing is becoming very rather easy to get with uh, a lot of companies coming out where you can just kind of like prick your finger and send it into them uh, and they made a uh, he made a very good analogy saying that um how do you know when your when your car is broken there's a, like something that pops up. There's a light that pops up and you go get it fixed. Well, how do you check for your body? If you did like a blood test every three to six months, it'd be a very good way to know if how you're eating is healthy or not healthy as opposed to just, um, listening to what's out in the media or all these kind of things and trying to guess from what they say what you should be eating. Um, and that'd just be a really good way to, to, to check in every now and then to see how these things are truly affecting your body. Yeah, I mean, if you if you have the financial resources and you're doing this, I know that a lot of European professional athletes have the resources. I know that there's a finger prick method that um, a lot of the British Premier League soccer do uh, during the during they come off the, the pitch from practice and they they prick their finger and it, it gives them like hemocrit levels, um, glucose levels in their blood. It gives them like six or seven quick measurements just from a little finger prick, and then they can prescribe you know food after that. But uh, most of us don't have that. But if you have access to it, I think um, the craziest thing is, um, if anybody remembers Marius Putinowski, the world's strongest man, he actually, he, he gave blood every day. Well, I know, uh, Jeez. I, I was talking, I know there's a lot of companies now in the US that it's like 50 to 100 bucks, you can, you can order a blood test and you just prick it and send it in the mail. Yeah, I mean, that's, but, I mean that's, that's 50 bucks that, you know, if you're doing once a week, I mean, that's... You know. Yeah, I was talking about every three to six months. Yeah. So, so if you, I mean, if you're doing it just to check and, and do it, I mean, most if you go to a hospital and you go to a phlebotomist and you ask for a blood profile, that they can, I think they can measure up to 180 things in your blood. I mean, right now the going rate here in Greenville, South Carolina, is about 92 bucks. So if I go to the hospital and ask for a blood profile, 92 bucks. If you go to do that twice a year, it's you know roughly 200 bucks that might give you a better idea. So I mean, it is out there. You don't have to be an elite athlete to get a blood test or even if you can send it in for 50 bucks and get, you know, some good measurements, but elite athletes, we, they're really not utilizing that. I mean, the professional athletes I work with, they, I don't think they've ever given blood besides maybe a lactic test I've done on them, but I mean, it's, (laughs) so, 
in terms of you know in terms of quality uh crossfit has been on this mega kick uh about please don't think guys we're like we have we have so many crossfit athletes we're not anti-crossfit it's just as an establishment no sugar crossfit went after sugar like it was their job and it kind of i don't know where it came from but it was this anti-sugar campaign and this long study i well, think they're still doing that yeah. crossfit is yeah they're still going after yeah, sugar but long-term studies are coming out now showing that uh, I think since 2010, sugar uh, sugar intake has dramatically gone down. Uh, but, oh, yeah, yeah. but obesity continues to climb. Well, so you're referring to – yeah, there was a study. And I think it was from like 1990 where like when carbs first started to kind of be demified again. And it was showing that basically fat has actually increased since then as we've gotten more obese. And in China – Carbs have increased, or no, sorry, China, carbs have been the same, and they've actually gotten lower. Well, I, I was thinking about the study that showed that uh, sugar has decreased, but yeah. obesity continues to decline. Okay. So, it was something where, like, America and China were totally the opposite, oh, and we've actually gone in different directions. Okay. But yeah. So so I think this, this leads to this question of, I think we all have these preconceived whether it's rooted in actual science or, or not, uh, preconceived notions of what is healthy and what is not healthy. Can you so just take us through what you uh, take your students through when you talk about nutritional uh, habits around healthy eating? Yeah. Well, I was just talking real quick. There was um, uh, that I just, I just been, this been in the news. Um, this big initiative launched in 2012. I have it pulled up here called Nusi is a $40 million project to basically look at sugar versus fat content in our diet. $40 million, right? $40 million. And basically the idea, the guy who started this, um, basically um, his idea was sugars are bad and fats are okay. So he, you know, tried to promote that, you know, we shouldn't eat sugar and we should eat more fats, basically kind of like a pure paleo diet and spent $40 million since 2012 to prove this. And all his research came back and said, it's all about moderation. If you eat too much fat, you will get fat. If you eat too much sugar, you will get fat. But if you eat the right amount of both, you're going to be okay. Which comes back to the calorie. It's just so much easier to demonize one particular thing. Yeah. You know, if you are drinking a liter of Mountain Dew a day, you are drinking a lot of sugar. If you drink one Mountain Dew a day, you're still drinking some sugar, but maybe it's not as bad as if, you know, you know, so as, as we make it out to be that sugar is this, this bad thing. I mean, well, the other thing there is that it just doesn't fill you up lots of times yeah. eating more. And that's why your calories end up being excessive. Not that the sugar was bad for you. Yeah. I mean, you, you drink a Mountain Dew and it's got, you know, a lot of sugar in it. Right. And, Just trying to search it real quick. The the nutrition. Are you searching what Mountain Dew has? Yeah, so Mountain Dew has 170 calories um, per can, right? So you just you just drink a can and it doesn't fill you up, but you just ate 170 calories, which is a bowl of oatmeal. Yeah. Right. So a bowl of oatmeal is going to fill you up, and a can of Mountain Dew is going to you know might taste great and be refreshing, but it's not going to you know give you that satiety that we're worried about. So you, you drink seven, seven cans of Mountain Dew and you're, you know, it's the equivalent of, you know, eating seven bowls of oatmeal. And, you know, that's kind of what, what, what hide what gets people. It's not necessarily the, you know, the badness of Mountain Dew or whatever. It's the fact that it's got hidden calories that you don't expect. And then you just eat so many calories from it because it doesn't give you full, makes you full. That's kind of the, when we get into the, this quality the quality of food, I don't think is, you know, the, the quality is considered like, oh, this is farm fresh or this is made in Iceland and it's raised by, you know, nature. And I mean, I, I can understand some of that would be an organic, but a lot of it is, does this fill you up? Does this make you full? Does it have a good amount of carbs, the fats, the proteins with the glycemic index? Is that the kind of food? That's when I think quality, I think that type of quality, not whether it's, you know, farm to table or is it you know organic or is it raised you know in its natural environment i think is the food 
going to supply you with the, all the macronutrients you need? And is it going to fill you up and make you feel full and give you the desired result? So that's kind of my, my, my take on quality of food. What would you guys, uh, this can be to both of you say, uh-huh. I, I know a lot of responses to something like that study would be, oh, uh, well, it worked for me, or there's, there's plenty of examples of it working tremendously for certain people, improving their health, um, where studies like that obviously take uh, the averages or the population as a whole, uh, where there's, but there is going to be these kind of like, you know, end of the bell curve cases where potentially not eating carbs did help them a lot or having a, a little less fat helped them a lot. Is, is that, is that true? So yeah, I mean, everybody thinks they're an outlier and you might be an outlier. You might be one of these like 5% that's on either end. And, yeah. and once again, it's a scale. Like, do you go complete carbless and go pure, you know, paleo and not eat any carbs? Yeah. I mean, that might not work for you, but if you just decrease your carb intake a little bit or you decrease your fat intake a little bit, I mean, that's when I get, it's, it's more than just a physiological because if you take out carbohydrates altogether in your diet, you're going to crave carbohydrates. And unless you have the willpower, you know, of no one here on earth, you're going to eventually grab a Snicker bar or a, you know, some type of bread or donut and just eat it because you need the carbohydrates. So moderation and then, you know, yes, okay, this being a caloric deficit by decreasing carbs worked for me. That, that's great. I mean, that's part of this. I, I could the guest check and revise is, could I do it with carbs? Yeah. Okay. I could take, you know, 60 grams of carb out of my diet and still be fine and still do well. Well, maybe if you took 60 grams of carbohydrates out, you felt worse. Okay. Well, let's take those, take those, you know, 240 calories from somewhere else. Let's take it half from carbohydrates and half from fats. Does that work? Okay. I feel better. Okay. I'm working. And then there's also the practicality of it all. So I've done paleo back ages ago. So very low carb. And my performance at the time, or I should say my efforts per session were more sporadic and and can't really recall how hard the training year was relative to now. I I know it's much harder now, but uh, I didn't see any decreases in performance. I just knew how I felt. I felt this way there uh, that didn't feel too great. Uh, because I was in a deficit, so I was losing some weight. I, I liked how I looked when I did that. And then I've been on the opposite side where I've eaten 2 to 3x times carbs per gram of body weight or per pound of body weight, grams per pound of body weight. And awesome, but also the practicality of eating that many carbs presents its own challenge. So you kind of have to find uh, what works for your schedule, for the foods that you enjoy, uh, for your budget, this is not just a simple plug and play with your macros. It is much more complex than that. And I think, uh, as you mentioned, Sobo, uh, while it is simple, you still have to understand what you respond well to based on these varying circumstances as an individual. Um, one thing I think we should kind of clarify, though, is that we'd all agree that if we eat lean meats, fruits and veggies, whole grains, healthy fats, that that would be a pretty good place to start in terms of quality. Yeah, making that at least 80% of your yeah. diet. Yeah, yeah. And, then, and then perhaps filling in, whether it's an 80-20, 90-10, this is just for the purpose of, of yeah. you know, this wouldn't be like when you look in your uh, my fitness pal saying, oh, well, 80% has been good. Now 20% is going to be Halo Top. Well, Halo Top's still on the 80%. doesn't count. So. doesn't count. Uh, it's it, 20% Ben and Jerry's. This is just more of understanding moderation as we've spoken about. Um, one thing that I think uh, is thrown around now without too much uh, validity is this uh, sense of the importance of having a single type of food for overall health. And if you wouldn't mind so speaking to that, uh, do you see athletes? I think physique competitors can be uh, victim to this if they're only ever, or they can fall victim to this if they're only ever eating chicken, broccoli, and rice. But in terms of uh, not having a, a variety from your food sources within what we just described, 
would any athletes for performance or just maybe mixing up the type of lean meats or mixing up the veggies and carbs, would they be scarce of any specific types of vitamins at all or have any concerns there for maybe spending more out of pocket than they normally would for specific quality aspects? So, so word of, of just a simple advice, if any diet says you need to eat specifically, if it, if it focuses or limits it to a certain type of food or meat, I mean, super restrictive diets don't help. It doesn't help your body physiologically and it really hurts you mentally too. If you're eating the same thing every day, just talk to a bodybuilder who's cutting for a competition where they're just eating chicken breasts, right? They are not in a good place mentally. And if you're not in a good place mentally, then you're not, you know, you're not going to want to work out. You're not going on a train. Your performance is going to go down. Even if, you know, if you're doing it for, you know, weightlifting or cutting or something, but you know, those are the extreme situations. But so if you say, I'm only going to eat chicken breasts, well, how many ways can you put chicken breasts together? You can, you know, grill it, you can fry it, you can bake it, you can boil it. Eventually it's going to get to you. So, and plus, you know, chicken breasts don't have, doesn't have iron in it. It doesn't have some of these other nutrients that you need. So variety, you know, lean meats, lean meats encompasses a lot of meats. It's not just lean chicken, you know, turkey, which are lean. I mean, lean beef, you know, lean pork. I mean, all of that is part of lean meat, you know? I, I, I just love, I love pork tenderloin. What a, what a good way to, uh, actually one question I had, so was like, so it seems like for general health or uh, general uh, kind of fitness, it's more about preference. Um, could you kind of talk about the importance of more of the macronutrients for different sports? So like endurance sports versus strength, strength power sports, maybe like, okay, well, in strength power. almost say drink sports? <laughs> yeah, drink sports. Ooh, like uh, college. Yeah, yeah. Beer, beer Olympics. <laughs> beer Olympics. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, so kind of like, okay, for, for you know, general general health or general fitness, it's more about adhere, like what you can adhere to and your preference. But then for performance, okay, you actually do need to think more about the um, uh, what type of macros are, are in here outside of uh, maybe just preference. Okay, yeah, so... Your macro ratio is going to change. So when we talk about macros, we talk about proteins, fats, and carbohydrates. So, and they can they can vary between you know forty percent carbohydrates, forty percent fats, twenty percent you know proteins. So that that's going to change. What I would say is your your events in sports that are highly metabolic in nature. So you're running where you're doing a lot of work with running and you know rowing and you you know. Uh, cycling, those kind of sports that are basically all just how well your body can produce energy. And those CrossFit are, in there as well, correct? I wouldn't say CrossFit's a super highly metabolic sport. Okay, uh, it does have good. It does have moments of high metabolic, but it's not the you know. It's on the lower end. It's on. It's a yeah. It's a. It's in the. It's in the level of metabolic sports, but it's on the lower end. Okay, I see. What you're so, saying. so those sports carbohydrates are going to be key. I mean, you're talking, you know, 50% plus of your, you know, 50, 60% of your diet's going to become carbohydrates because you just need that, you know, those carbs to replenish glycogen and to be used as glucose in your system just to perform the, the amount of exercise you do. And then as you scale back from that, think the less and less metabolic or aerobic you are, the less and less you need to get your calories from carbohydrates. And pro- protein's a whole different story as far as like how much do we need to rebuild muscle, you know, if that can increase, you know. So as you diminish your percentage of calories coming from carbohydrates, your sport should be less and less demanding on carbohydrates as a source of fuel or as energy being a kind of a rate limiter in your performance. Like doing a, a one RM bench press you the what limits you from bench pressing 350 pounds is not how much glucose you have in your blood mm-hmm. right so that sport power lifters carbohydrates aren't a rate limiter they're not going to diminish your performance so they're not quite as important so they can their ratios are a little lower sometimes i see you know 40 40 20 something like that even 40 30 um 30 
even maybe 40, 20, you know, this, it kind of all just depends. But so if you're, if you're highly metabolic and you're using a lot of energy, the more carbohydrates you should have in your diet, which with CrossFitters being on that, the low end of the high metabolic sports, if you cut out carbohydrates altogether, or you go super paleo, you do not get those carbohydrates. You need to go through glycolysis and to produce energy and you don't physically have that energy. So your training gets the, the intensity of your training has to be kind of stepped down to where you can meet the most of your demand from fats. And which sounds like a good idea. I want to burn more fat. So I'll eat less carbohydrates. So then when I work out, I work out with less fat. But if you're going to stay in that oxidative zone and your, your intensity can't be as high. And if your intensity isn't as high, your performance is not going to be as high. So you, for CrossFitters who go to pure paleo, I'd say watch some of your Rich Froning and, and Matt, you know, Fraser and those guys' diets and some of their videos. They're eating tons and tons of carbohydrates because you're going to need that to do, you know, if you do a five minute, you know, you know, workout AMRAP or whatever you do in five minutes, that's going to be almost purely anaerobic, which you're burning purely sugar. Do you have any um, uh, starting points in terms of? like grams per pound? Because I know last episode we talked about protein being one to maybe one, even 1.5. The studies are showing anywhere to start with maybe like the volume of training, what carbohydrates might look like or stuff like that. Um, yeah, let me, hold on, I got it right here. I actually just looked at this earlier today. So there's some, and this is, you're gonna, if you were going to go crazy, but, you know, if you look at some some recommendations that you know carbohydrates are you know i've seen it recommended as high as like 12 grams of carbohydrates per pound of body like, weight it's around ocean stuff correct uh, say that Is that that's more for like like elite distance runners yeah, yeah so you're talking like on the high end 12 grams per, per kilogram of body weight excuse me per kilogram you so say, oh my. yeah <laughs> so i mean you're looking you're looking at you know an 80 kilo person you know, over 500, over, you know, over 900 grams of carbohydrates, you know? So you're talking that that's on the extreme end. I would say for most people, even the low end is good enough. So once again, you look at five, five grams per kg should be a good starting point. It might be less, it might be more. Um, so that's still, you know, the majority of your diet. So when I talk about this, you can have, you can attack this two ways. So if you're, if you're listening at home and you're like, well, well you know, he hasn't given me anything to, to work with. <laughs> you can start two ways. And this is, this is, it's all preference. It all depends on what you want to look at. If you start, if you go online and you get your, um, your caloric expenditure idea and you get this 2,500 calories, you can then say, I'm going to use a percentage of that and say, okay, 60% is going to be carbohydrates, 20% is going to be fats, and 20% is going to be proteins. And you just take 0.6, multiply it by 200, 2,500, and then divide by four to get how many grams of carbohydrates you need. So that's one way of doing it. So that's so if you look at caloric expenditure and work backwards to get grams per, you, you know, grams consumed per day, mm -hmm. or a lot of people look oh. at oh. this. Oh, can we, um, sorry. Not to, I hate to interrupt. Yeah. Can we take that back one step further and say where you got the divided by four, just in case people are new to nutritional sciences and, and, and really want to be taking notes down here? So for every gram of carbohydrate you have, it is four calories, kcals. So if you have 2,500 calories and you um, want all of them from, from carbohydrates, you need to consume, you know, 625 grams of carbohydrates. So just take whatever that percentage is and divide by four. And then that gives you how many grams of carbohydrates you need. So you can look on your, on your, your drink or your nutrition influence. This has eight grams of carbohydrates. You could say, okay, that's what I need to consume. And then, and then four grams per cal, uh, uh, four calories per gram of protein and nine calories per gram of fat. If yes. you apply the rest of your macronutrients. Yeah. So if that's the way you work, if you work from caloric expenditure down to grams, that's how you do it. And that's one way to do it. And you can say, 
based on my macros, this is what my breakup should be, which I think is a simple, easy way to do it. And it's less daunting. Another way to do it is to base it off of your body mass and then work the other way, which then you get some crazy numbers. So if you say I'm an 80 kilo person and I need to eat, you know, one, you know, say two grams um, of protein per per body per kilo, and then I um, multiply that by four, I need to eat 640 calories of protein. Or, you, you know, same idea. You just, you, you just work different ways. And depending on how you work, it's going to depend on how many grams you eat. So if you base it off a, a weight model, you're going to multiply everything by your, your, key, your kgs. So five, you know, five, you know, on the low end or kind of the moderate end for, for carbohydrates. Um, you know, two for your, you know, proteins and, you know, fats can vary in there as well. So you can work from pounds to, to kcals or kcals down to grams. And what are your thoughts? So we, we've done this, have recommended this. We're not nutritionists. Gosh, we are not a lot of things. We're not nutritionists. We're not physical therapists. We're not MDs. I feel like we talk about these things. We're not experts. Are we? I don't know. But, but we, we just try to synthesize the best current evidence to give you guys well, the best we are, we are good guys. We are, we're real. And, and Becca's just a really quality – Great gal. If only we I miss had. her. Yeah, we need to get her back on more. She's on vacation right now, so Kyle and I are running. Uh, uh, I mean, she's she's taking care of her clients, of course. But I, I worry that our remote athletes are going to try to overthrow us because we're in a little bit of a vulnerable situation. Yeah, Zach so out of sorts that he lost the top of his coffee. I machine. found it. I found oh, it. I'll okay. talk about it in another podcast. Um, but what I was trying to get at, and it's slowly escaping me because i've been diverted what, here, no wait no 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 please 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 wait <laughs> is what is your thought on because you know we you can go down the tracking route you can you can do all this but what is your thought about like you said just eating or uh, because we're tying this together now okay quality might not be as crazy as eating things based on when they're ripest uh, season wise it may not be based on uh, a fitness magazine saying how much of one particular mineral is in that type of food, but we have this healthy blend of lean meats, veggies, whole grains. Start there. Treat yourself to some uh, ice cream every now and again. Treat yourself. Treat yourself. Uh, feel yourself. And um, how do you feel about kind of under those guidelines or within those guidelines? You maybe just bump up food X percent and see how much it takes for you to start gaining. And then practically you can see, okay, well there's that spot, right? Yeah. That's and, what I know. Kyle, and if you're thinking about cutting, you want to try to get as high as you can before. And so speak to that more. Well, so that's, that's something that, um, I've been doing is really trying to, because my training goals have slightly changed, but I've been trying they're to always changing. Uh, <laughs> I've been trying to see how high I can push my calories before I start gaining weight and I'm actually much higher than I originally was. And it's been about two months now. So I, and I realized, recently commented that you look very athletic. It, yeah. I've realized that I was under eating for quite some time. Mm -hmm. uh, so that, and then it just, if you then do want to lose weight, it then makes like the weight loss that much easier. Yeah. Because so I was at, so for example, I was at around 3,200 calories, sometimes 35 and I'm up to 4,000 now. And I've been holding for about two months. And so now when I cut. I wonder you had those midday naps. <laughs> why am I so tired? Uh, um, so, yeah, that's why. And I, yeah, I was always really tired in the middle of the yeah. day because I was under eating. So that's, um, yeah, that's just a really good way to go about things. Um, did you, you were asking so about that. Yeah. And, it, and just like that, we don't need to overcomplicate it. It's just simple. Just eat a little bit more or eat a little bit less. I mean, that's. And as long as you have good portion control, like don't make it any more complicated than that. If you are normally eating a balanced, healthy, you know, healthy-ish diet, like just, you know, instead of having three scoops of ice cream, have two. And then instead of having, you know, so much rice, maybe you have two cups of rice, maybe cut it down to a cup and a half. You know, so once you find what you need to be eating, then you can play, play the game either way. It doesn't mean you have to go to these extremes and all of a sudden I have to eat, you know, you know, we, we have a friend who loves sweet potatoes. If you guys remember that, 
Um, oh Zach, Zach, yeah. Zach will remember that that uh, that friend. No, he he's yeah, he's great. He might he might even listen right now. Yeah. So you know, do you go to the extreme of just eating sweet potatoes every <laughs> every day? I mean, no, you don't have to do that. I mean, because once again, there's a psychological. There's a whole lot more at play than just your macros and your micros. So just remove a little bit, add a little bit. As long as you're eating healthy, as long as you're eating a balanced diet, it'll all come. And the, the problem with people is they want it to come now. You know, they want, I want a diet that's going to make me lose 10 pounds in, you know, a month. Yeah, there's a diets out there that do that. I, you can just starve yourself and it'll do that as well. But yeah. you are you doing it healthy? Are you doing it in a way that's going to help you perform? Because ultimately, we're talking about performance athletes. If we've messed with stuff too much, it's going to affect their performance. So small, you know, little, just subtle changes until you find that sweet spot that works for you. It might take six months. It might take a year. But if it does, you're going to be very better off whether if you're yo-yo dieting. Oh, I tried paleo for six months and it was horrible. So I went to, you know, a whole carb diet and I felt better, but now I felt bloated. Well, if you just kind of, you know, found that middle ground where you eat just enough carbs to make you perform, but then you eat just enough lean meat to help you recover, that's the simplicity of dieting and performance. You don't need to make huge craziness. I mean, I mean before we were started talking, I was looking at Michael Phelps' diet and you know talking about everything he eats. You know, three fried eggs for breakfast, um, two cups of coffee, a five egg omelet, a whole bowl of, of oatmeal, um, three slices of French toast, three chocolate chip pancakes for dinner, a pound of pasta, and an entire pizza, like. We see that and we're like, oh my goodness. Once again, like he's at that level. Like it's just, you know, that's what he found that he needs. You don't need to eat that much. Like you just need to find out what works best for you in through, you know, kind of, you know, guess check, I guess. Maybe I eat five more calories. Okay. I didn't gain any weight. Five? Okay. You guys kill me. Okay. Like, like 50, I got 500 more calories. I eat 500 more calories. I do that for two weeks. Nothing's changed in my body type. I actually feel a little better. Then I, you know, so it just kind of, it just depends on how you want to progress and going right at it right away is going to, going to kill you. Don't just say I'm going paleo, no carbs for me for the next six months. And, and you know, there are these, because nutrition in this aspect, and and I think this, this will wrap it up for today is very much, at least the information that you are uh, being targeted at through social media or that you stumble upon is very much like training. There are certain buzzwords that you just want to avoid. Uh, so, um, like squat every day, probably not. Like squats all the time, eh, probably not. That's the same thing. But well, they're the same thing. But I think what I'm getting at is like squat two days a week with progressive overload. Drink occasionally or nightly, but in moderation. Uh, and don't go every day. Don't go the one exercise or the one food that will revolutionize your diet. Uh, same thing in terms of elimination. It's not that there's one exercise that's that's killing your gains by not doing it. There's not one food that's killing your body composition by not involving it. And we've bounced back and forth between at least early 2000s. You had this paleo kick. Uh, where it was relative to how people were eating and ex- an extreme because it, it sells, it's different. for. Well, it I, think, be- I think with, especially we were talking about quality, I mean, what is good and bad for you has changed yes. so much. What This was good, now it's bad, yeah. now it's good. Now, so just somewhere in the middle is And that's fine. the thing, it's like, so you have that and you have Maybe. IFYM, right? Why don't you just make me He's really not a good singer. <laughs> yeah. You have, yeah, but you have that, like the high quality or what is perceived as high quality and then IFYM, right? These are like two like varying sides of the spectrum, but where does that leave you? It leaves you with recognizing that these are uh, kind of pushing the far end of the spectrum for basically marketing standpoints because they have to be able to distinguish themselves somehow. So they're trying to hit a pain point. Yep. And uh, what's the name of the uh, singer songwriter who sings middle? Yeah, Morris. What? Marin Morris. Marin Morris. You should be Zed. You should be more like Marin Morris. Is it two people? Yeah, he's the like the he did like the soundtrack or whatever you call it. So we're gonna we we promote the Marin Morris and Zed diet. Meet in the middle, and I'll never sing it ever again. 
except when he's squatting and dancing in the gym. Much better in the shower. Yeah. Yeah. I, if you just, just on the lines, eggs were like considered bad forever, right? Don't eat eggs. You got too much cholesterol. And now they're saying, you know what? Three eggs a day is actually fine for you. If you like eggs, three eggs a day is good. So, I mean, it's, it's like, it's a pendulum. We swing one way and we don't eat sugar. We swing back the other way and say, eat too much sugar. Use common sense. It's, you know, just like you guys said, somewhere in the middle is probably the best. Why don't you? This is a good song. Can we cue it up in the back? That would be great. <laughs> well, that, uh, that just about does it for episode, who knows? 28, I believe. Uh, well, I just want to say uh, thank you guys if you've listened. Um, please go back, listen to some of our earlier shows. Uh, hopefully, we've gotten somewhat better as we've gone along, but any feedback is so appreciated. You can email us, leave comments on social media. We'll respond to any and all questions. Uh, thank you so, so much for tuning in. If you've enjoyed the show, you can head over to iTunes to leave a review. Let me just call you out for a second, Kyle. When are we going to be available on Android or Spotify or any of that? Is, this a, is this a closed door? But like, no, I can work on that this week. Okay, well, we're going to work on that. Yeah. Because some people are like, I have an Android. I can't hear your podcast. And they don't oh. want to just send the website. Oh. But uh, any closing words, guys? I don't have any. Just, just be, be smart, be smart consumers, be smart, you know, people of your own body. Like don't, if it's too good to be true, it's probably too good to be true. Like, I mean, moderation's key, understanding yourself. You're not everybody just because your best friends on a diet doesn't mean it's going to be good for you. So think just use rationale and common sense to think, is this going to be good for me? Can I handle it? Try it. If it works great. If it doesn't, you know, move on and try something a little different until you figure out what works best for you. Because there are always going to be fads, but the more you can educate yourself, the more you can understand how it all fits together. And I also, I would say try it for a lengthy bit of time, not just a week. Yeah. And then change. Oh, this doesn't work for me. How long has it been? 24 hours. Yeah. Yeah. Whole, whole foods, lean meats, veggies, healthy fats. You don't have to go to whole foods. It, that's, that can be yeah, expensive. That can be expensive. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, but anything else going on uh, in life or with research that you want to talk about? Uh, just I'm just finishing up some summer school this session. I start. I'm teaching again next, you know, in July, and just plugging along. Nothing, nothing too crazy going on with with me. Just trying to trying to be a, a dad and and train with a little baby girl yelling at you. Nice. Extra motivation. Yeah. Well, hope- Hopefully we'll come down and, and, and train together shortly. Yeah. Let's not ramble any further. Thanks, uh, guys, again for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye. Bye.